Hello and welcome to Hysteria. I'm Erin Ryan. I'm Alyssa Mastromonaco. Alyssa, I don't want to give you like anxiety, but when you're in the car, do you ever have a moment of like mild panic when you think about how much of the safety features in your car were developed and tested without considering that women exist at all? I mean, I haven't thought of it that way, but yes, yes. Well, like the other day I was in, uh, I was in my car and I, I, the thought occurred to me, had the inventor of the three-point seatbelt ever touched a boob? Had he been familiar where boobs are on the human body? Like, it's just like a three-point seatbelt itself is just like, this doesn't feel like it's made for me. How about the fact that you can't wear a ponytail and sit in the seat? Yeah, that seems like an oversight. It's like bad for your neck. It's bad for your neck. It's bad for everything. It's I, Why can't they just make a ponytail hole? Uh, you just need a hole. Also, I'm just going to say, they're, while we're on the topic, cars are not made for my size. Everything is too big. Yeah, you know what? I read recently that women are something like 73% more likely to get injured in car accidents. And part of the reason is because until recently, they've only used male crash test dummies. Well, Erin, that doesn't surprise me as <laughs> when I got into my car accident, my seatbelt burns were in not the normal spot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm so now I'm like eight months pregnant. Yeah, ready. you are super pregs. Look super pregnant, right? And all of the books about how to like safely do pregnancy stuff where it's like, don't eat, you know, raw oysters and like, right. Don't, do do meth or whatever. Like, no liverwurst for you. Exactly. They also have like riding safely in cars. Push the seatbelt way down on your hips. Where? 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 <laughs> it like there is no room. There is like literally no place for the seatbelt to go safely. It's like wearing boys' underwear. Sometimes you gotta cut a slit. <laughs> This week, Dana Schwartz and Akila Hughes join us to tackle the following questions. Besides why Scott Bayo is still famous, what else can't California Republicans recall? Is princess culture damaging to little girls or just harmless dress-up? And who hates the Met Gala? All this and more right now. Okay, news. I wanted to start on a couple quick hits of news first before we get into the part where we have to talk about Joe Manchin again. Because, yeah, boy. Yeah. Ugh. Uh, my adopted state of California rejected a Republican effort to recall Governor Gavin Newsom on Tuesday. I'm really proud of the state that I have lived in for only three years. I'm very <laughs> proud of it. It's basically a referendum on whether or not we want to turn our state into a sort of Florida West and we said, no, we don't want to do that. Um, and so I'm, I'm proud of us. And I'm proud that my state's gubernatorial drama resolved in a positive way, in much the same way that your state's gubernatorial drama resolved positively. It's the system worked, I guess. In these like cases, I guess. I Another thing I want to say quick before we move on to the next thing is um, I did kind of get a, a little jolt of schadenfreude on Tuesday when I saw how many members of the national political media were so horny to turn this into a story that just wasn't there. It was just like, stop. I'm sorry that you didn't get to drone on for five hours, like hand-wringing over what the results might be because the results were in, in what, like 40 minutes, Erin? 40 yeah. minutes? 
40 minutes. And I also wanted to add that in the city of Los Angeles, as of last night, um, Angeline, a one name, I think she's, uh, I don't, I'm not that familiar with Angeline. I believe that she's a sex worker. She appears on billboards and she's very sexy. Um, beat Caitlyn Jenner in Los Angeles. I mean, sorry, Caitlyn, better luck. Never. How about we stop putting Caitlyn Jenner on the news as a serious politician? Caitlyn clocked in at about 1.1%, I think, yesterday. Yeah, about 1.1%, which is pathetic. Like, Like, no. I don't want to be a megalomaniac, but I feel like I could have done better. (laughs) You could 100% have done better, especially if you you added a funny nickname to your middle name. You would have done better with joke votes than Caitlyn Jenner did. (laughs) Like it was, look, I'm, I'm, California is far from perfect and has a lot of problems. And Gavin Newsom is far from my favorite politician. But I feel like today, Gavin Newsom is, if I were him, I would be like a basketball player that just sank a crazy shot holding my follow through and like backpedaling through my entire day. But definitely didn't backpedal to French laundry. No, no, no. We backpedal to In N Out. I think In N Out would be the appropriate <laughs> that place. That seems an appropriate celebratory lunch spot. 100%. Gosh, I want In N Out now for breakfast. Delicious animal style. Um, so, Alyssa, you were watching something this morning on Wednesday mm. that I didn't get a chance to watch because I was prepping uh, for the show and it's morning here and it's midday there. Can you tell me a little bit about what's going on on Capitol Hill that isn't? A slap fight about something that causes us headaches? I got to tell you, I was uh, both, uh, you know, traumatized and heartened by what I saw today. Um, I watched Simone Biles, uh, Michaela Maroney, Allie Raisman, and Maggie Nichols testify before a Senate Judiciary Committee um, about the FBI mishandling of the Nasser investigation. And Erin, I was blown away. These women... Michaela Maroney especially gave vivid testimony about her recounting of what Larry Nassar did to her that she gave to the FBI in 2015 uh, on her bedroom floor, sobbing that the FBI did fucking nothing with for 15 months. Uh, An inspector general report revealed that not only did the FBI not do anything, but I mean, well, this also goes into the basket of not doing anything, but they didn't tell uh, law enforcement about any of these allegations. And when they ultimately did uh, write a report about what specifically Michaela Maroney had said, they changed her testimony, Erin. They changed her testimony. After she went through the trauma of reliving what that pedophile did to her, uh, they like super, super whitewashed it, like like just completely changed it. And the one thing for all the uh, members of Congress that we think are useless, um, Marsha Blackburn, John Cornyn, everybody was just there and super supportive and uh, looking to hold uh, these uh, folks at the FBI accountable for what they did. And so it was uh, like brave, staggering understatement for what those four did this morning, but it was it was really powerful. I, uh, I'm so proud of those. I say girls in my head, they're girls. Cause first of all, they're really short. And second of all, when I first was familiar with them, a lot of them were like 16, 17 year old right. Olympic gymnasts, but now a lot of them are women and, you know, they're going out of their way to make sure that this doesn't happen to 
other exactly. people in their sport. It's like I'm I am just as proud of them for doing this as I was for any athletic performance they ever had. Like, you know, and one of the things they said, Aaron, that was so like light bulby, I guess, is that the whole reason they went through the pain of doing this in 2015 was so it didn't happen to other people. And because of what the FBI did, hundreds of other women were assaulted by Larry Nasser. And so um, they were all resolute in saying they hoped that this was the last and final straw uh, and that they, they never had to do it again. A serious question. Like, if not stopping mass child rape, what is the FBI for? No idea. Like, this seemed like some fucking low-hanging fruit that they, like, this is like a layup. Like, they had more evidence. Like, all of these women came forward. They gave them everything they needed. And they were like, you know what? Nah, not today. Oh, my gosh. Well, it's disgusting. But it was really, uh, it was it was good to see how seriously the Senate was taking it. All of the gymnasts were very grateful to them for uh, taking this up and making it a public hearing. So we'll see what happens to those at the FBI. Yeah. Um, well, I hope people are held accountable. Speaking of people who uh, won't ever be held accountable because they mm. have literally nothing at stake. They have no horse in this race, but yet the fate of millions of families lies in this person's hand. Uh, Joe Manchin, senator from West Virginia, he's a centrist, but I think we could just call him useless for the most part. He's a centrist who uh, on Sunday did some talk shows. And during those talk show appearances, he expressed reservations about a big Democratic spending bill that uh, that leaders on the Hill hope to have passed by the end of the month. Part of that spending bill is a permanent extension of the child tax credit, which this year has been given to families and has kind of proven to be a godsend. Joe Manchin thinks, you know what? This child tax credit thing, we're just giving it out too easily. You know, like it's supposed to be to help kids, but should their parents be working in order for the kids to deserve help? You know, he want, he he said that he wanted the funds to go to, quote unquote, the right people um, and that work requirements would ensure that that happened. Alyssa, what do you make of Joe Manchin's comments and reticence around spending money on people who don't look like Joe Manchin? Aaron, why does he hate people so much? <laughs> like, because he's I mean, like honestly, all evidence points to the fact that this did a lot of fucking good. And I think that one of the things that's so troubling is, is his idea that people should have to work to earn this. I'd like to say, as someone who doesn't have kids but is surrounded by people with them, raising kids is fucking work. Yeah. And, you know, I find it very curious. The type of person who is is usually so on their high horse and insistent on people having to, quote unquote, work to earn money, oftentimes earn money from passive rich guy means. Does Joe Manchin have a stock portfolio? Is he working to earn that? No. He put money somewhere and it is his money is generating more money. You know, it, a person that owns real estate and that is the base of their net worth or, or buying and selling, you know, commercial properties is some is part of their business. Are, are they working to earn that money? No. And also, Aaron, like, here's the thing is that if you like 
as of today, looked at a map of the globe of all the countries, the United States and Mongolia still leading infections uh, of COVID. And so what this bill would do is lock in payments until 2025. Aaron, is there anyone who can look around us right now and and like, are things solved? Like, are we fine? We're not fine. And so like, I don't understand why in a world where people still you know, depending on what states you live in, schools are, you know, classes are being closed. People are having, you know, infection spread and parents are still struggling. And I, like, I don't understand. I guess when he does things like this, it's like, who are you protecting? You know what I mean? Like, right. are you worried about f- fucking fraud? Are you like, this is, this is, it's, uh, it's it really it makes me mad. I think that there are some things that you can look at that he's like Mr. Centrist, but like literally, who the fuck is he protecting here? Like, why wouldn't you want to help families? It makes right. no sense. Right, right. This is like a massively popular proposal. Like, to like extend it's, the- he's the only person making it controversial. Right, he's not centrist. He's way out in fucking what is it that you call Janet from another planet? He's Janet. He's from Janet another- from another planet. On this, it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Um, I am glad that on Capitol Hill, people that came out swinging, the usual suspects, the heroes like Senator Sanders, Representative Pramila Jayapal, Sherrod Brown, came out and they were like, what are you talking about? This is ridiculous. Um, It seems to me like Manchin is kind of grasping at straws to figure out a way to delay this proposal that would benefit groups of people in the U.S. that should have been addressed like a generation ago. Like, you know, the the child tax credit thing is is a piece of a proposal that includes family leave, which we've discussed on the show. And like, if we were able to get the family leave that they're currently proposing, we would be about halfway to where Sweden was in the 1970s. Like, mm-hmm. we're not we're not trying to like like just heap on the benefits that where there were none. What we're trying to do is be, reach the bare minimum, you know? We're literally like, again, second to last in the world <laughs> in helping people. So I just, he's really depressing me, Aaron. I really, I, and the problem is we know we need him. We know we need his vote, but yeah, what's it going to take? Yeah, I mean, but here's another thing is work requirements don't work. They don't cut poverty. They don't improve employment outcomes. They don't work. All they are is like this weird punitive thing that people do that that do nothing except give kind of hateful people a sense of satisfaction. I I don't know. Right. It's like it's like to them because in the it's fundamentally like we said a minute ago, mm, taking care of kids, raising children is work. And he's like, no, you're going to prove it to me. And I want you, by the way, to go get a job that doesn't pay you enough so you can't afford childcare because you need this in the first place. It's fucking dumb. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And it really, I mean, I don't think Joe Manchin is, I don't think that he's capable of feeling embarrassment. But if I were him and someone pointed out to me how completely out of touch and stupid I sounded about the reality that millions of Americans face, I would be pretty embarrassed. He's like embarrassingly out of touch. I agree. And I guess when it comes to something like this, if you're going to say like, 
it's fine for people to disagree with things that are being proposed, but like come with something better. And saying that people should, that there should be a work requirement is like not contributing anything helpful to the debate. (laughs) No, it's just another, it buys people like Joe Manchin a couple of days in the news cycle while people talk about this. And it's really just slow walking. Like he's just trying to slow this whole thing down. And I think, like you said, Alyssa, there's definitely debate that should be had about what's included in this big package and how large it is. Um, But yeah, offering useless ideas that just slow the whole thing down are just bad faith garbage. Well, and he said as much, Aaron, on the Sunday shows. He said, why does this have to go so fast? We have the other bill, the infrastructure bill. We can just pass that. Why does this have to go so fast? And it's like, have you have you been out in America, dude? People are fucking hurting. Yeah. Or as Bernie said, we're not going to build bridges so people can sleep under them. Yeah. God, what a hero. <sighs> fucking hero. I just love that guy. Okay. Um, I want to talk really briefly about COVID. You mentioned it. Uh, this country is still doing really poorly in managing the pandemic. Some kind of disturbing pieces of information that I came across this week is that Delta is killing uh, pregnant women. Delta is killing mm-hmm. babies in utero. It's causing spontaneous abortions. Uh, here in California, there have been a couple stories like in recent days of women who are like very pregnant losing their their babies when they became infected with COVID or losing their own lives when they became infected with COVID. In Mississippi, I think like 73 pregnancies have been lost by covid mm-hmm positive mothers and they attribute the loss of that pregnancy to COVID. And that's not to say that that's the most important metric or anything like that, but it really sticks out to me as a point of uh, friction between the pro-life crowd and uh, anti-vaccine crowd, which tends to be the same crowd. Like there is no, uh, how can you be pro-life and anti-vaccine when this disease is killing babies. Um, And then on the other side of it, we have people who are really clamoring to get booster shots. Um, There are, there's conversation about opening up booster shots to more Americans at the end Mm -hmm. of the month. Um, Some people are really nervous. And so they're trying to get in line in front of people. Alyssa, what do you, do you think that it's, it's useful or helpful for us to moralize about people who are jumping the line for booster shots? when we're having such a hard time getting everybody to have the shot. I, I, it seems like a real tug of war to me. No, no. Everyone has access to the shot, right? We've done everything we can to get people to take the shot. The response of whatever percentage was so far, 30%, I think, of people who are not vaccinated is like to yell that the people who are getting the shots are fucking sheep and that we should keep doing the research. Guess what? The research has been done, okay? And if someone tells me to get a third booster, I will be there first in line because you know what? I want as much immunity as I can have to protect myself from the unvaxxed people who continue to spread the disease and make it mutate, which got us the Delta variant in the first place. So, I mean, Aaron, you know that when it comes to this, I'm a fucking one trick pony. I'll say it every show, but all these people who are like, "Mm, I'm not going to get vaxxed. Well, okay. Yeah. That's why we need boosters and other things because it keeps spreading and changing and -hmm. getting worse. And if people are getting their third booster, I don't give a shit. Like, get the booster. I really, I could really care less. 
Yeah. My feeling of this was when the vaccine first became available, I was a little judgmental of people who were cutting in line. Totally. Um, but now I'm sort of like, yeah, they're throw like in some places in this country, vaccines are going to expire. And I don't think it's the ideal way to behave to to cut in line for boosters. And and we don't really, you know, know for sure whether it's the best, if it's even necessary, you know, but I can't really like get mad at people. You know, I would say on the, I would say on the like scale of outrage, this is definitely like below French laundry and the French laundry thing with Gavin Newsom was not that high in the outrage scale. I was no. just like, well, that's obnoxious. Well, and also are people even really jumping the line? I mean, they can't break down the numbers. Uh, they they can't really break down the numbers as to who has gotten the vaccination because so many people may actually just be immunocompromised who the CDC does think should be getting their third booster shot. Yeah. So, you know, I think the only argument to be made is that if we do have these vaccines and if we don't, if, if non-immunocompromised people don't necessarily need a booster shot right now, I think th there's an argument that should we be giving these shots to countries that don't have the vaccine, you know, that mm -hmm. need more help. I think that's a discussion I would be interested in seeing uh, had. But I mean, now I am not outraged at all about this, Aaron. Yeah, this COVID pandemic has done some pretty crazy things to my ability to like get mad at people for trying to protect themselves yeah. for their health. Um, all right. Well, we didn't really get a chance to talk about Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's balls, um, but we do want to talk, you know, I, I do want to extend my best wishes to the balls. <laughs> the swollen balls? The swollen balls. Yeah. Um uh, w my thoughts and prayers are with the balls. Uh, and, you know, seriously, though, uh, swollen balls are not a thing that happens as a side effect of no, the COVID-19 no. vaccine. There are, are a number of other health conditions that can cause testicular swelling, uh, some of which are sexually transmitted diseases. And I would say if swollen balls resulted in your fiance breaking up with you, it's more likely that it was an STD than it was the COVID vaccine. Yeah. I mean, that's something I didn't need to know and hope to forget soon. <laughs> Indeed. Okay. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, I'm really excited about this conversation. Can't wait. I am so excited. So stick around and we will be joined by our panel in a minute. Hysteria is brought to you by Viore. Tired of boring workout gear? Check out Viore. Viore's versatile and comfy products are designed to look great in and outside the gym, whether you're running, training, or even just lying on your couch, enjoying the fact that your two-year-old child is leaving you alone for five blessed minutes. I love or, that for Viore. Is that, you know what? That seems like a real perk of Viore. <laughs> it is. It's perfect. It's cut perfectly for lying down and just savoring a moment to be left alone. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> five the, stars no five, comment 100% great that's the type that's my favorite sport the new the women's performance jogger is the softest jogger you'll ever own grab one of these new colors before they sell out and check out the women's daily legging which features a high waist drawstring tie and upgraded no slip fit all things that are absolutely essential in a legging essential uh, I love these leggings they are because you know like not everybody's the same you know so mm -hmm. it's like I need a little bit more room around my booty so I 
size up a little bit, but then it's usually too big in my waist. And so now I just just pull that drawstring. And exactly. I, don't show, I don't show any crack when I bend over. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. See, you have your baby and I have my butt crack. <laughs> <laughs> For guys, there's the men's core short, the most comfy lined athletic short out there, and the men's Sunday performance jogger. Oh, my gosh, Alyssa, my brother, who I have given Viore performance gear to. Yes won an ultra marathon over the holidays. I saw that. That is so incredible. He ran 80 miles in the freezing cold. I don't think he was wearing his Viore core shorts because that would be dangerous. Dangerous. But, but he he loves wearing them to train, and uh, I'm so proud of him. I'm so pr- Viore played a role in his ultra marathon win. <laughs> Uh, plus, Viore is 100% offsetting their carbon footprint and reducing and offsetting 100% of their plastic footprint from 2019 onwards. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash hysteria. That's V-U-O-R-I dot com slash hysteria. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping on any U.S. orders over $75 and free returns. Go to viore.com slash hysteria and discover the versatility of Viore clothing. And... Welcome back. Like I said before the break, Alyssa and I are both very excited to talk about this topic. I want to start, Alyssa, by asking you, how excited are you for the Diana movie with Kristen Stewart? You're a big Princess Diana stan. You guys, I have the lamb sweater, the sheep sweater, whatever it is, the red one with the one black sheep. I own that shit. I got on a wait list so I could have that shit, okay? Alyssa, I have the the other one that says, I'm a luxury if you can afford. Okay, so we're both basic <laughs> and uh, gullible to Instagram and town and country, which is where I think I first saw the advertisement a year and a half ago. Uh, but no, I love Lady Di. I love her. I can't wait for it. I'm sure Kristen Stewart can do no wrong. And uh, I wait with bated breath. Yeah, it's getting good reviews. It's really exciting. Um, but, you know, it's... Part of the reason that the movie is getting such good reviews is because it's such a story. It's a story of, you know, pain and strife and conflict. And that is something that is, in contrast, pretty absent from princess stories that are packaged and sold to little kids. So I'm really excited to talk about princess culture, the way that it influenced all of us, uh, especially as people who grew up little girls. And, um... Let's get to it. So first, uh, she wakes up every morning and sings a song about how much she loves reading books and hates all the stupid people in her town. It's Dana Schwartz. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for having me. It's such a beautiful introduction. (laughs) There goes the baker with his tray, like always, you know? They're so basic. I hate everyone I ever meet. None of them (laughs) read books like me. I'm the smartest one in town, and I know it. (laughs) Uh, I think you had a tweet about this. Like, it's no wonder people didn't like Belle because she was a jerk. (laughs) It was like Belle, like, there goes the baker with his tray, like always. And then the baker being like, well, there goes Belle singing her daily mean song about us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And excited to welcome her back to the show. You know her and love her. And she was literally a Disney princess for a job. At one time. So mm-hmm. she's kind of the like resident expert on this topic. Akila Hughes, welcome. 
Hi, I'm here. I'm loving it. Uh, I also <laughs> just wanted to add the caveat about the Princess Diana movies, which is like, I think it's getting good reviews because the other ones are also bad. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, even the bad ones. I mean, yeah, I will say I cried at Naomi Watts' performance, but you know, that's that's my own emotional turn. <laughs> Maybe has nothing to do with her. <laughs> she's a really good actress. I don't, mm-hmm. she's a really good actress. Um, So we're all here today to talk about princess culture. This is a topic that I wanted to talk about for a long time because I think it's really pervasive, especially in the lives of American girls and women, unless you had parents who were like actively interfering with your interaction with princess culture, you kind of absorbed it. I read somewhere that something to 80 to 90% of little girls in America have exposure to an interaction with princess culture. Still, like, it's still like that, even with the flooding of the market with other competing princess-type archetypes. Disney princesses and all of what they have spawned is kind of number one in a lot of little girls' minds. So I want to start with you, Akila. Um, what is princess culture in your mind? As someone who actually was a princess, like, how did you witness it manifest? <laughs> yeah, so my culture. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean... At Disney, it is incredibly overt. Like for them, it's truly just like a revenue stream. So like uh, like that is, it's actually a point of contention within the Disney Corporation because they don't have enough male, like little boy properties to uh, compete. So it's like Disney kind of, in, especially in the, uh, when I was there at the like end of the 20, I guess the end of the 2000, what would you call that? The mid-aughts <laughs> of like around 2010, um, they had like, a real like concerted effort to get more boys in the park and they would do like pirate parties because everything else was princess themed. And of course we all know that they bought Marvel, which was obviously for a lot of reasons like IP that they didn't have to necessarily develop from nothing, but also like it was to attract boys. Like, (laughs) and like, I guess like girls who weren't into, um, you know, the princess of it all. But to answer your question, princess culture is really just, I think a very antiquated way to say like, this is a thing that you can achieve as a woman, as a girl, This is a job that is possible. It's very easy and glamorous. You look great. Everyone loves you. It's like the easiest thing to aspire to because it's like, you know, it's a, it requires nothing of you. It's like all of the movies start with like, I'm just a random person except for maybe Jasmine. (laughs) (laughs) And they're like, oh, this uh, ugly beast or like douchebag prince is going to like change and then you're going to become the princess and you just have to like wait out (laughs) his change. Uh, And um yeah, I think that that culture just is pervasive and it kind of leads to like, I don't know, I think a lot of sadly women marrying douchey men because they think like, well, he chose me and that's how it's supposed to happen. Uh huh. You just have to be beautiful. That's the main thing a woman has to do. As that's long right. as you're beautiful, everything else will follow. And you're yeah. a good Ursula singer. And you're a good singer. <laughs> exactly. Ursula had both when she got the voice and the face. Nicole Byer has such a good bit on Ursula the Sea Witch being, um, so everybody who's listening should Google Nicole Byer, Ursula the Sea Witch. I'm just going to summarize. She points out that Ursula could have looked like anybody, but she chose (laughs) to look the way that she looked and still was like fabulous and happy. So maybe we should think Ursula is cooler than she actually gets credit for being. Um, Dana, did you ever want to be a princess as a child? And do you want to be a princess now? So I had two, I have two sisters. And so I feel like my main media diet growing up was Disney movies. Like that was just like 
you know, we're varied in age, but there's three girls. Like, we're just going to watch Disney movies through for 10 years straight. <laughs> so I feel like that very much, like, informed my uh, understanding of, like, what it is to be a cool girl. It's like, yeah, you're pretty. You live in a palace. You're rich. Like, things that now I wish I didn't, like, associate so much with, like, success, being, like, thin and rich. Uh, but then I also became obsessed with, like, when I was a kid, like, YA novels about, like, real-life princesses, like, books on, like, Mary Tudor and young Elizabeth I. So, like, I was fascinated by those stories. And so I sort of wanted to be one of those, even though they're all, like, unhappy stories more than a <laughs> Disney princess. It's, like, awful. Every one of those stories is unhappy. Um, can you go a little bit more into it? Who is the saddest real princess? Oh, I mean, they're all. But, like, maybe I had this book that I read so often um, about Mary Tudor, who is the oldest daughter of King Henry VIII. And people know like, oh, he like divorced, tried to divorce her mom, Catherine of Aragon to like marry Anne Boleyn. And, but like there was a daughter who just like saw her mom get exiled, her mom get disgraced, and then her dad married some new biddy. And then she basically was, uh, you know, sent away from the palace in exile and ignored for like a good five years. What about Eleanor of Aquitaine? Wasn't she pretty good? Was she not? She was cool. See? She was less of a princess. She bypassed princess and went straight to queen. And this is now Dana's history corner. Like, I fucking love Eleanor of Aquitaine with Richard the Lionheart. <laughs> Eleanor of Aquitaine was like an heiress. She like inherited, was like the richest woman in Europe. And then she became the queen of France. And then after he died, also the queen of England. Wow. See? There are some success would, stories. I'm it would have that. been like if... <laughs> but she, she skipped being a princess. Being That's a princess exactly is want. just being a pawn. You want to just be a queen. Yeah, yeah. it would have been like if uh, John Kerry's wife, Teresa Hines, would have run for president <laughs> and won. And so, <laughs> who's writing that? Who's uh, writing that? I don't know, but that would be great. Maybe me and you, Akilah. I don't know. Yeah, uh, we'll get to it. <laughs> <laughs> not like we're both busy. Um, Alyssa, when you were growing up with Disney princess movies... Uh, did you ever want to be a princess? Like, and did you have a favorite Disney princess? And if so, why? Uh, no, I never wanted to be a princess. I was a bit of a tomboy. I'm sure this surprises everybody. Um, I also went to this like super crunchy nursery school called Freedom Plains that um, <laughs> sort of disabused you of such ideas, except I did love Snow White because she had brown hair. The princesses are always blonde and she had brown hair and I thought that she was never lonely because she had all the dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> I liked true. Belle. I liked Belle because she had brown hair and also because she liked to read. And I was like, it's me. I'm represented. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Isn't that crazy that that was like diversity in 1992? Yeah. yeah. I Does, mean, the truth is you mean I 1980? Was like, <laughs> 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 I was just consistently the brownest one. Like I was like, Jasmine is it. And then I'm like, oh, Pocahontas. <laughs> That's way too old for Princess Diana when it finally happened. But in, yeah, childhood, I was absolutely Poco. Like, that was our vibe. Like, we were like, I, she has dark hair and she's clearly brown. Like, <laughs> it's me. Did you, like, so you said you were too old for Princess Diana, but did, did it, like, feel good? To see oh my Disney. god! Yes, I like. I was such a dork. I went to see it in theaters. Um, 
I, it came out like in between my internship and working at Disney. So I was like, oh my God, like, and I was, this was also the recession. So it was like, what am I going to do after I graduate? I'm like, I'm going back to Disney. <laughs> like it was my Lion King return story. Um, she also was just like so tight. Like she was just like, um, I don't know. She had a job. She was excited about making her restaurant. She really wasn't interested in the prince until like the end. Like they had to be frogs the whole time, which sucked. But uh, it was pretty tight that like, you know, her real ambition was the restaurant and she gets it. <laughs> so <laughs> good for her. Yeah. I, you know, it's interesting because we talk about like, oh, princesses, whatever, whatever, whatever. But like having a Disney princess that like you connect with as a little kid and even as a young adult, like really kind of matters. I mean, the biggest way, like I felt that way about Power Rangers, the smallest version of princesses. (laughs) I was like, oh, like, I mean, I'm the yellow one because there's not a black girl one. And all the boys at my like pretty white elementary school were like, no, the yellow one's a boy. Like they didn't even, they didn't even know that she was a girl. They were just like, all of them are boys except for the pink one, which is a white girl. And I'm like, well, I'm playing Power Rangers <laughs> and you're just going to have to deal with whoever I choose to be. Like, whatever. I feel like, so because I had two sisters, like in playing, it was always like you had to be one. And my, my older sister was pink. So I was just yellow by default because <laughs> pink is taken. So it's like, all right, I guess I'll be like the other girl. And then- I really liked Powerpuff Girls. I don't know if you guys, Powerpuff Girls came out, but that was a great representational moment for uh, mean brunettes. Yes. So I was always, um, oh, Buttercup. shoot. Butter, is, is Buttercup the mean one, the green well, one? Yeah, yeah, same. Yeah. <laughs> she had the darkest hair, so again, yeah. I had to dress she was, I was I was Buttercup because I was kind of like the meanest of my sisters and had dark hair. Do, do you think like that, Uh, So I was listening to an interview with a woman who did a study on like the effect of Disney princesses on little girls' psyche. And basically her research found that exposure to Disney princess movies are different than exposure to Disney princess marketing. Like Disney Mm -hmm. princess marketing Mm -hmm. is a lot more like it's all about like – because it's marketing. It's about getting you to buy stuff. And the stuff is like – big and frilly and jewels and rings and like a way more hyper-feminized version of the princesses than what you see on the movies. Like, do you think that there's like messages in the movies that can actually be good, despite the fact that these they're called princesses and there's something kind of inherently passive about it? Like, do are the, can the movies have good messages? I'm going to jump in. I'm a big Disney movie defender and I actually do think they are, especially the more modern ones, like Belle and Jasmine and like, especially some of the more like 90s Disney princesses like Ariel, like they're spunky. Like they go after what they want. They're like, they're not silent bystanders and they're not like, um, just like the swooning girl in a, in a story about a man and who are like, they're the reward at the end of the mission. You know what I mean? It's not like a man does the adventure and then he gets rewarded with a woman. Like I actually think like stories that center women with agency and like going off to do things is like, that is really good. It's like, it made me feel like, oh, you can go off and have an adventure. But I think you're totally right that the marketing then is all very passive. It's not like Bell's a uh, science kit. It's like Belle's like big glittery fake ring and baby doll t-shirt. Like <laughs> I always found that the most harmful part to me was like, I never felt 
without sounding self-pitying, like that pretty as a girl or as like a kid. And like, I was basically like, no, I have my strength. Just like being the most pretty isn't like, that's not my thing. And so then I sort of always felt disappointed where I was like, all right, well, if I'm not like the most pretty, does that mean I don't even get an adventure at all? Hmm. That's interesting. Um, Alyssa, do you see any kind of harmful messages about the way you look in Disney movies? Oh, yeah. I mean, come on. They all have like the cinched waists. You know, I mean, it's it's essentially no different than Barbie dolls, right? I mean, it's like these super, you know, everybody has long hair because I guess girls don't have short hair. I mean, I can't think of anyone. I guess Snow White's hair was Snow a little White bit. Snow White has a little bob. It was a little bit of a bob. I but mean, that was like know, a once real. Once they cut Rapunzel's hair and it turns brown and she's like, now I'm regular. My magic is gone. <laughs> exactly. Like, what a message. So for the most part. <laughs> Your hair is long and beautiful. Your waist is so thin you don't have ribs. Mm-hmm. And Thinner than your boobs. neck. It has to be a neck thin waist. <laughs> For cartoons, a lot of boobage, just going to say. Very That's what specific. I was excited about as a kid. I was like, I'm going to get that. Yeah. <laughs> and then That's I didn't. Good. And I was like, oh, man. Yeah, I'm just I Velma did, from it's, Scooby-Doo. It's bad if you do or don't. Quite frankly. <laughs> Can we have a moment aside to talk about when Jasmine is in a sexy red bikini? Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, with the, like her slave, Liam. I mean, she's was literally a like a siren from uh, <laughs> Odysseus. Yeah, she's like, she's seducing Jafar. And she's like, you're so tall. <laughs> <laughs> spindly. And I'm like, spindly? <laughs> <laughs> Writing that one down to but see yeah, if that works. I mean, but yeah, princesses have uh, some very specific uh, measurements, let's say. Yeah. I think that it sort of makes, here's the thing. I wanted to talk about like whether or not we all think that this messed us up at all or if it taught us things we had to unlearn. Um, Like, I think I had to unlearn a deep association between being pretty and being good. And it's not just Disney that teaches that message, but, you know, it's, it's like... Other other kids media does too, but just Disney is the behemoth in the in the picture. And, you know, as a little kid, you know, watching a movie where it's like the most beautiful woman is also the kindest and the one that is the most deserving, blah, 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 blah. It, associating kindness and beauty or like goodness and beauty with something that like isn't I I think that I I spent a lot of energy not thinking of like trying to unthink that. You know what I mean? Can I tell you something weird that I've noticed in like history? Yeah. So I do this podcast called Noble Blood where I like go through like nobles in history. And like whenever I'm talking about like a female, like a a female noble or like an interesting woman in history, more often than not, it's like, oh, and she was uniquely beautiful. She was just like stunningly beautiful. And I reached this point where I was noticing that trend that like in the early modern period, especially in Western history, like the interesting women who got written about were the most beautiful. And then it's like, because the only avenue for women to have any power or like free time or freedom was proximity to power, which means like being selected to be the king's wife or the king's mistress. And so it's like being attractive was a woman's only avenue to power for like a lot of period in history. And so now I feel like the two get conflated of like being interesting and cool and being written about and influential and being pretty then become the same thing in a lot of people's minds, Mm -hmm. which I think absolutely sucks. Mm -hmm. Akili, do you think that there are any other aspects besides the beauty and goodness link 
of princess culture that sort of like messed with your head as a kid? Totally. And I mean, you say as a kid, but I'm like, there's shit I'm unlearning still from this. <laughs> like, I definitely think that I, I learned that like, you're supposed to like make men good and then they'll be a prince. Like Belle goes to the castle and has to put up with him until he decides to be a good beast and then he can finally be a person again. Same with Princess Tiana, where it's like she has to wait for, you know, this selfish prince from another country to like get over his materialism and his shallowness. And then they get to be people again. And I think in a lot of relationships, I've probably waited through a lot of red flags being like, no, because there's potential for good here. And like, that's not a woman's job. That's not anyone's job to like, you know, just like hope that a person gets better or like you can be supportive without being a doormat. And I feel like a lot of those movies, it's like, how how long do you have to put up with somebody's ignorance or how much education do you have to do? Like Pocahontas' entire existence is like, here's a dumb white man who's never been to America. <laughs> Let's show him how to fish and not kill And it's kill Mel us. Gibson. Like, it's Mel Gibson's oh, voice. Yeah, like that's the worst of it. <laughs> Good thing there weren't any Catholics there, guys, because he would have... <laughs> exactly. Would have been a real problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, when I was, I was in Peru like several years ago and uh, I was in a market in Peru and they were selling a bootleg DVD copy of Pocahontas 2. And I was like, what a strange world. <laughs> How weird to be in Peru and see Pocahontas 2. And then I thought about what happened, like what actually happened, because Pocahontas is such a totally <laughs> fabricated version. They shouldn't have made a sequel of that. Yeah, <laughs> the only thing that's true about Pocahontas is that those people existed. Yeah. Like they had, <laughs> there was somebody who had that name <laughs> several times. Exactly. There was a guy named John Smith who came to America. Raccoons existed on the East Coast. Yeah. That's about it. Um, <laughs> That's the beginning and end. And, but like Pocahontas too is so strange because the winter after John Smith and Pocahontas departed or departed like Jamestown was like a starving year when people like went crazy and ate their families. So like why? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. It's pretty I crazy. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, but why why make that movie? Did, did mm-hmm. it need to be made? Um, Alyssa, I, I know that you were kind of, you know, at your hippy-dippy nursery school. Um, was there something about Disney princess culture that you saw pervaded, like, girl culture around you that was harmful? Oh, sure. I mean, so, again, it's the matriarch of this conversation. Uh, we had the – do you guys remember Madame Alexander dolls? Oh, do yeah. I ever. Okay, and I girl. had several. Well, let me tell you something. I got them all. I still have them. <laughs> all right? I got Scarlett O'Hara. I mean, they're not just Disney princesses. <laughs> they're basically every beautiful white woman you can imagine. Madame Alexander made into a doll. And they were on my shelf, on my, uh, you know, the shelves in my bedroom. And I, I mean, I must have had. I got one for every birthday and every Christmas for many, many years. And I just looked at them and I dusted them. That was because they weren't to be played with because they might be worth something someday. And so you just dusted them. And so I would just go to sleep every night looking at these perfectly quaffed. Everybody had blue eyes except for Scarlett O'Hara. Um, <laughs> you know, and they were just, they were meant to be looked at and not played with, which I think is the ultimate, you know, if you're pretty, like if you're a girl like me, you'd like get in the, you jump in the pile of leaves and you're like, I mean, let's admit it guys. I was like Ramona, you know, yes. and <laughs> you can look at the pretty things, but you don't touch the pretty things. I think that is sort of what I sort of 
took away from that growing up, that there are certain things that are meant to be looked at and that are beautiful. And then there's me. Mm-hmm. It's okay. It's like, not sad. I'm I'm a happy, yeah. fine, adjusted person. I mean, yeah, yeah. You you thankfully came out pretty unscathed, considering. That's <laughs> <laughs> really what we're saying. I mean, some people probably internalize that and think they maybe they identify with their dolls and think of themselves as aspiring to being a pretty thing that nobody touches. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And and like. <laughs> I mean, that's my aspiration still. <laughs> Why are people touching me? <laughs> Back when I was a kid, if you were famous, people didn't touch you or talk to you. <laughs> you just got to two movies, and now you, social you media. Just, you just wait perfectly on a shelf for a man to, <laughs> to come and pick, pick you. you out. Yeah, and then you're done, and then yes. you're happy forever. So, uh, so this is something I've been thinking about a lot. Like we keep we've we've been dancing around it, but haven't really drilled it down. It's Disney is very heteronormative, and like princess culture is very heteronormative. And I'm a hetero woman. Uh, married to a man and we're about to have a kid. And I think about like the kind of like cultural water I want that kid to swim in. Like, I don't want my kid to feel like they're supposed to be straight. And I don't want them to feel like they're supposed to be gay. I want them to just be a kid, you know, and I don't want them to feel like funneled into a sort of sexuality or gender expression because they'll, you know, they'll figure it out. Kids tend to have pretty strong opinions about who they want to be when they get to a point where they can say no, uh, which is like age one. (laughs) So like, you know, when I think about the Disney culture, I think about like, how much do I want my kid to be exposed to? I was exposed to a lot of it. And I hate the like, and I turned out fine justification because like, I did turn out fine in that I'm functional, but like, there are things that I kind of think were liabilities rather than assets as I was like growing up with this stuff. So, I mean, as like a person who's going to be a mom in like six weeks, I'm sort of like, do I, like when I'm watching, you know, Aladdin with my kid for the first time, do I, am I going to turn and be like, you know, if you want, you can be gay. <laughs> like, <what? laughs> you know, like you don't have to be just like these people in this movie, you know, princess Jasmine looks like that, but you don't have to be that skinny. Like how much, how much contextualization do I need to do before I'm like overreaching and just not letting my kid enjoy something? Oh my God. Um, Aaron, I mean, we're I living this- in peak media. Like you don't have to show them the movies you think are going to be so damaging. Like Moana is a great example of a not princess movie about a person who's loyal to their tribe and is trying to figure out a problem that has, you know, been in their in their entire culture for generations. Uh, I mean, and I think, no love interest, right? No love interest. Uh, just kind of chilling out. I mean, all of the ones where they started having people of color actually, they're like, you don't get to have love, which I think is its own problem. <laughs> 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 like, it's really still not great. Uh, the messaging could be better. But I, I mean, look, I can't tell you how to raise your kids. I think you'll do what you're comfortable with. And like, as my mother always says, like, you know, women will know. Like, I, I, I believe that you know what is best and it is your child. But I also think like you're aware of the problems. So yeah. I think as far as, you know, 
having your kid be aware of everything that other people are watching. Like, I mean, as as much as I watch Disney movies, I love the Mary Kate and Ashley Detective Agency series where they're literally oh, yeah. wearing tights under shorts and t-shirts with long shirts underneath and stupid hats and they're riding their bikes and they're like breaking into houses <laughs> trying to solve <laughs> mysteries no one asked them to solve. And I'm like, that's really my vibe. Like, that was the most I cared about anything as a kid. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, your kid will tell you too. Like, if I'm into this or not, my niece... We've tried. I mean, my my sister was like, great, Frozen exists, and no one in the family was happy. <laughs> Everyone was like, the song's bad. She didn't like it. She was like, it's very boring. It's too girly, was her note. My brother was, or my nephew was like, we have no, like, there's just nothing for boys in this. Like, I get zero out of it. So I think, you know, the kids have opinions. They'll let you know. Yeah. Um. And on that, I wanted to ask you a little bit more, Akilah, about, like, the experience of being a Disney princess at the park, because you were, your job was to be like the real manifestation of what people expected the princess to be in person. So like, can you share what you were coached to do and like yeah. how you were coached to act and like, what was the strangest or most awkward situation that you had to sort of like princess your way out of? These are great questions. So the training at Disney is intense. It's like if you actually do get uh, cast as this and they consider it casting, uh, I mean, that process in and of itself is like enough to make people very damaged, quite frankly. Like you, they basically line up all of the potential princesses and then just come and stare at your face. And then you all go and wait, and then they call your number, and then you're in the finals. So it's like, even if you are a great actress, or you could do your makeup like this person, or whatever, like, they're looking for a very specific set of features, which is, like, big eyes, and, like, that's kind of it. Like, and, like, I guess, like, I, at that point, I was, like, a teenager, so, like, kind of skinny, I guess. Like, <laughs> you gotta look a little scraggly, whatever. Um, and then once you actually have the role, it's, like... 10 hours over the course of a week of like, this is how you do the makeup. You cannot mess it up. Like, this is how you take care of the dress that you have to carry back to like costuming because they will clean it every day. Here are the things you can and can't say to like the guests. Here is like the agency that we're allowed to give you, which is like, it, like if someone is drunk, like a drunk man is trying to like touch you or something, you have to give them three chances to like stop and then you can use your real voice not the princess voice to oh. tell them to back up what's the princess voice yeah will you give us a taste of that oh man okay so yeah <laughs> my princess had like a, a country accent so it was a lot of like golly gee i'm so happy to be here and it's a lot of just like deferential like wow i love your dress like it's like so dumb <laughs> like kids love it um, which princess were you I was, I mean, guess. <laughs> was it, was Tiana. it Tiana? That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine the, like, shock and dismay of a white family that saved their entire life for a Disney <laughs> vacation and, like, Snow White just happens to be black that day. Like, <laughs> they would burn it to the ground. <laughs> Elsa on Broadway is black, which I really do like. Oh, that's, that's crazy. That's, like, I have to see that. That's wild to me. But, yeah. um... I mean, as far as, like, the crazy situation, I was never in one of those dangerous situations where, like, I mean, I know a lot of women who, like, men would try to pick them up off of the ground and, like, they had to just, like, and they got in trouble, too. I mean, even though they were, like, doing what was the kind of rule, it was like, well, you didn't have to react that big because some kids saw you. It's like, whoa, like, oh. <laughs> I think it's, you know, like, I'm still ah. a person at work. Um, but for me, because Disney, I mean most of the places that they exist are not diverse. They None of the Black princesses looked alike. Like, all of the, like, 
you know, Cinderella's and Bell's, like they really did have such a wide swath of people to choose from that it was like, it could be relatively similar. You'd have to look at the picture for a long time to know it wasn't them. But like, if I had a shift where I was in, you know, just the gazebo and I was coming after the parade and I wasn't in the parade, then the kids would come over and be like, why weren't you in the parade? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, they're like looking parade. at the picture and I'm like, it's only me. There's only one. Like, <laughs> I'm really trying to like do sleight of hand. Parade Tiana looked different than Gazebo Tiana. Yeah. And the, like, and I mean, like skin knew. tones, heights, uh, oh, like, every, you know, like all the, the only consistency was like the dress and the wig. So like, it was a little like, and I never have ever had arm muscles. Like I'm just a person who's supposed to hold a child. Like <laughs> just, <laughs> I'm a little cushioned. And like all of the other ones were like a little bit like they clearly worked out. And so like, I'm the schlubby. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, what's going on? You look you look sad. <laughs> Did you have to do that thing where if someone asked you what your job was, you had to say, I'm friends with Tiana? Yeah. I mean, if they listen to this podcast, I'll probably go to jail. But like, <laughs> yeah, like that's that's the coding. Like you, you are friends with the princess. You're supposed to be um, because there's only one. And so it's like if you say that you are Princess Tiana, then people will be surprised if you're not. So you can say even I'm friends with Mickey Mouse if you are, but you're never Mickey Mouse. Because there's only one Mickey Mouse, and it's obviously not you, random person. <laughs> it's uh, called uh, protecting the magic. Is uh, is literally <laughs> they want it to be magical for the kids. Imagine like going around and like dressing like somebody and being like, "I'm friends with Aaron Rodgers" because you're wearing <laughs> like his jersey. <laughs> yeah, like oh it's really wild, and it's also like I will say, probably. I mean, you know, I love what a day. But probably the best job I ever had because the entire job was like you get dressed up. If it rains, you don't work, but you get paid. Like they can't Whoa. risk the costume. So oh. it rains a lot in Orlando. I'm like, please give me the three o'clock slot so I don't have to work. I can just eat ice cream and sit around. And they're like, oh, well, my shift's over. Um, <laughs> but also like everyone who goes, their families have saved a lot of money. It's like a big deal for them. And it's like you're their favorite princess if they're waiting in line to meet you. So like you just watch children like... I mean, especially my favorite were the little boys who clearly were like just dragged over there by their little sister. And then they got too nervous. Like they were like, oh my God, like it is her. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, this is incredibly cute. Like I am making these people's day every day just by virtue of existing here, <laughs> standing here. Like if I don't want to talk much, I let the kids talk forever. And they're so excited. They'll hold your hand and be like, when I was watching your movie, my favorite part was when Aww. you were on the riverboat. I'm like, I like that too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it was very wholesome. So I will say that like, you know, heartwarming. I didn't get paid enough and eventually had to move home. But definitely like, uh, you know, it was a good experience in that regard. Like a good kind of labor. <laughs> I want to read a book about this. I just find it so fascinating. I would love to write a book about it, but I feel like the clearance would just be like, Disney oh, yeah. be like, absolutely not. <laughs> Can I ask a gross question? Is yes. did princes and princes ever hook up? Because I bet they did. See, that's a beautiful question. And unfortunately, you're wrong. All of the princes were gay. <laughs> <laughs> they were together. All of the princes were together. The princes yeah. hooked up sense. with each other. It's like oh, how, all totally. the dear, it's all the, how all the Evan Hansons on Broadway are dating each other. <laughs> <laughs> and they're like, this is my dear Evan Hansen. This is my dear Evan Hansen. <laughs> there are four Evan Hansons dating. I oh love that gosh. for them. That's they all great. probably look the same, which is even weirder. <laughs> I also love that the Disney princes are dating each other. Like the Disney the Disney World Disney princes are like 
yeah. out and proud and having a great time. They're all very handsome. Good I don't for think them. I've ever met a, a straight prince. I mean, does it, it doesn't seem like the thing that would appeal to like a straight man to like actually have to go and be judged based on his appearance for money. <laughs> <laughs> and like wear a costume and a wig. Yeah, exactly. The wigs really is probably the, the main part. They're like, I'm not wearing that shit. <laughs> So, um, oh my gosh, I, this is so fascinating. And like, it's so, what's really like striking about the Disney princess thing is like, there's so much effort being put into making it seem effortless for the multiple actors who fulfill this one role, because it's like, there's, yeah, there's like uh, people cleaning their clothes for them and there's people relieving them of their shifts. And then there's, you know, there's like an endless, like not an endless, but there's a supply of people that are designed to split up the responsibilities of this. But like real princesses, real royalty don't really like have that luxury. And um, I think, you know, thinking about like Meghan Markle and the like horrifying, sounds like abuse that she suffered, abuse at the hands of the public, abuse at the hands of the media, and, you know, allegedly some abuse at the hands of like, other members of the royal family. Um, It just seems like maybe we expect Disney princess behavior out of like real human beings that aren't like working in shifts that don't get breaks that are just themselves all the time. Um, Alyssa, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about Princess Diana and uh, your, your Shiro. And like, because I think you know, as you being the self-anointed matriarch of this conversation, you were like of an age where you were aware of how Princess Diana was treated in public. Like, do you think people expected her to be this like perfect angelic princess and then like reality bumped up against that? Yeah, well, I think so. Just a little background before I get ratioed here. Um, The... (laughs) My Oma, when she uh, she spoke German, all of her friends were German, she only read European magazines. And a lot of these European magazines were dominated by coverage of all the royals. And so uh, when I would stay over, she would read me the stories. But my Oma was also a bad bitch. And she would give commentary. So I knew from a very young age that Prince Charles was not a good man. (laughs) And so she was really, so really what I remember the most about Princess Diana was so much of her work with landmines, what she did for kids with AIDS, like all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the fact that, I mean, like when you think of the pictures of Diana that you remember, well, I'll say me, that I remember, uh, it's like when she's in the sweatshirt and the biker shorts, you know, when she's got the college sweatshirt on, that she would drive her own car, that, you know, the she, there was something that felt accessible about her. And I think that that's what made people love her so much. It's It's not so much that she was on a pedestal. It's that she kind of came down and wasn't afraid of real people, but was still so beautiful and, and I think was known for being, I think people's fascination with her is that when they saw the royal family, they saw very cold people and they didn't see her that way. They saw her as someone who had a heart and had a conscience and had empathy. And so 
that was, you know, that was what I loved about her. And then like enter Fergie. I mean, I don't know. This is like a very, it's one of my favorite pictures. It's an avatar on several things I have. It is a picture of Diana and Fergie doing one of the walks. Dana, do you know the picture I'm talking about? And they're poking, Fergie and Diana have umbrellas and they're poking another one of the royals in the bum as they're walking. And (laughs) it is so funny. And I remember seeing that picture. I, I don't know how old I was, but I remember seeing it in one of my Oma's magazines. And that was what I think was great about her is that she seemed much more obsessed with her kids and helping people than she did putting the tiara on and and being something to behold as opposed to somebody who did things. So that's why I loved her. And I remember I when I woke up, I was a senior at the University of Wisconsin and uh, we didn't have cable. So if you turned on channel four, whatever low channel it was, before like five in the morning, it was the BBC. And I remember, wait, I, I had the flu and I woke up and I saw that she had, she had been killed in a car accident. And I just, oh, I cried for, I cried. Princess Di and Lucille Ball, the two people who really knocked me on my ass as a young person when they passed away. But that's, that's why, you know, that's, that's why I loved her. Because I think that she, she embodied what people actually wanted out of royals as opposed to what they normally got out of royals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when she died, like my family has this sort of like, I don't know what it is. It's like, they they were like kind of anti-Princess Diana. I know that like my dad kind of thought that the coverage of her was like frivolous and he just like, they don't like rich people. My, you know, like it doesn't really matter if they're like anybody who like my dad senses is doing like photo ops. He's like, I don't like that. You know, like, I, I I don't know. That's just kind of his deal. And so I remember being like a kid. I was like in high school and I remember Princess Diana and Mother Teresa died within like two weeks of each other. And my family, not my mom so much, but my dad being like, it's so gross how the media is fixating on Princess Diana, blah, 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 blah. Now, years later, we're all realizing that Princess Diana was actually a very good person and Mother Teresa was kind of a fucking bitch. Oh, Which is kind of funny. Like, it's a it's a funny full circle thing. Like, who was the good person? The wealthy and privileged princess who was showing up to AIDS hospice centers and being photographed touching AIDS patients at a time when people were... Uh, marginalizing and ostracizing people with this disease that we didn't understand. Or like the, you know, the nun who sort of hazed every other nun in her order and fetishized death and suffering needlessly. Um, I don't know. I'm Look, I've been trying to get excommunicated for like 20 years, and I'm hope that, <laughs> hoping that these comments finally do it. My connection to Princess Diana dying is that she died on my eighth birthday, and so every year on my birthday, <laughs> there is some coverage. It was also bad because as an eight-year-old who was not familiar with Princess Diana when she died, uh, but knew it was all over the news and my birthday kind of like got canceled, um, <laughs> my brother told me it was my fault. <laughs> no! <laughs> and so I, for the longest time, was like, please don't bring her up. It's my fault. She died. And then I was like, wait a minute. Like, as I got older and older, I'm like, oh, that's actually not possible. Like, <laughs> That's good. But yeah, for the longest time, I was like, I just want to distance myself. I'm the baby of this conversation. And I was four when she died. And my only memory of her, and I had no idea who she was, but I did get a purple beanie baby, a purple Princess Diana beanie baby. What's a beanie baby? 
You talk about one of your favorite historic pictures of the butt poke with the umbrella. One of my favorite historic pictures is the picture of the couple that's divorcing in like the late 90s, separating their massive Beanie Baby collection on the yeah. floor of a courtroom <laughs> because this was like their investments. God, I love that. Um, I, I want to close with you, Dana. Um, since we've talked about like fictional princesses and like the cultural impact that they've had, yeah. we talked a little bit about real princesses, but you're kind of more of the expert on real princesses. If you could see one like real princess disnified into her own movie, who would you want to see like a disnified princess movie about? That's really interesting. I think maybe one who didn't have like a love interest. I mean, Eleanor of Aquitaine is is great because she, you know, was queen of two countries. She's not really a princess. Um, there's a a woman called Christina of Sweden who actually, when she became queen, Sweden doesn't didn't have like a rule. Like, there's a difference between being like a queen regional and a queen who's like married to a king, like a queen consort. And Sweden didn't have that distinction. So technically, she was the king of Sweden. Um, and I think that's cool. And she was also a lesbian and then renounced the throne and is one of the only women buried in the Vatican. Um, oh. She just had a wild ride. So everyone, go look up King Christina of Sweden. Sick. That's awesome. <laughs> you know I'm gonna yeah, like, now. Wouldn't that be cool? Like a lesbian queen king who just wore pants and loved to read all day and hated being a royal. Like all she wanted to do was just sit in a room and read her books. And that's why she eventually did. <laughs> that seems like didn't... Elsa, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. man. I, I was like, I, I my favorite one that would be impossible to Disneyfy is, I believe her name was Olga of Ukraine. Oh, Olga of Kiev. Kiev, yeah. The revenge lady. The revenge lady. Yeah. Oh, my God. Could not, could probably be a, um like a, kind of pulpy Netflix movie in the vein of uh, Fear Street because her story is so bloody. She just like killed so her husband got murdered by these like enemies of like an enemy kingdom. And she got revenge by like doing three different rounds of murders on like everyone in the kingdom. <laughs> really, really crazy. And then she became a saint because she converted. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, That's good, all job, Olga. good job, <laughs> Olga. Okay, uh, least likely to be a Disney princess, Olga of Kiev. Um, but, you know, keeping my fingers crossed. They made Hunchback of Notre Dame into a Disney movie. Why not Olga of Kiev's story? <laughs> yeah, more liberties taken. <laughs> totally. We have to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're back to I Feel Petty. It's 2024. We're facing another presidential election with huge stakes. You want to help. You don't know where your money will actually make a difference or how to figure that out. Ensure you love to take an edible and not think about it, but you can't because you do care. Let Vote Save America make it easy for you with their new anxiety relief program. Here's how it works. You set up a monthly recurring donation at the level that feels right for you, and Vote Save America will send 100% of it to the grassroots organizations and down-ballot races that need it most. Then at the end of the month, they'll tell you where your dollars went. That's it. Set it and forget it. Vote Save America has already raised $52,000 in monthly recurring donations. Love it. That's great. From over 1,000 amazing sustaining donors who've signed up and trusted Vote Save America to make their dollar go further. But we still have a long way to go. 
and Vote Save America needs your help to get there. Sign up at votesaveamerica.com and enjoy your edible. <laughs> Legal disclaimer, paid for by Vote Save America, votesaveamerica.com, not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. And welcome back. We have almost reached the end of the show. I feel petty, but before we get to that, some housekeeping. Look, we all know that U.S. politics are broken, but how did they get this bad? Find out by watching Crooked's brand new video series, Crooked History. Crooked History will take you through pivotal moments in history that changed our politics forever. From the launch of the Sputnik satellite to the election of Richard Nixon to the attacks on the World Trade Center. Each episode features a different crooked voice you already know, like Pod Save the World's Ben Rhodes, Pod Save the People's Kaya Henderson, and me, Aaron Ryan. You know I'm Aaron Ryan. In this week's episode, I break down Nixon's rise and fall and explain why his ugly brand of politics has left such a deep stain on America. You can watch new episodes of Crooked History by subscribing to the Crooked Media YouTube channel or head over to crooked.com slash crooked history to learn more. Okay, house has been kept. Now let's talk about the things that don't matter that have been bugging us a lot this week. Dana, do you want to go first? Yeah, mine's a little one. It's just, I think, internet etiquette. If you are going to um, review something or say that you don't like it, uh, don't tag the person in it because they see that. They don't need it. I, this is like a selfish thing. It's like I, you know, write articles or make a podcast and write books. It's like, even if it's like a two and a half star review or a three star review and you're like, oh, it's okay. I just didn't love it. Don't tag me in it. I don't yeah. need to see it. It's fine. Live your life. Read the book or don't. Just don't tag the person. That's all I'll say. A tag is to alert the person's attention to it. And mm. I don't think you need to do that all the time. It's a power that you should wield uh, with discretion. Hmm. So like, would you consider it snitch tagging? But snitching like kind of... It's like a sub version of snitch tagging where you're snitch tagging yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Don't snitch tag yourself. Yeah. I'm going to say that like like middling reviews, like two and a half or three star reviews are way more helpful to people who want to re- might want to read the book than they are to the person who wrote the book. I mean, all reviews are unhelpful to the person who wrote the book because unless they're writing a sequel, like, okay, what am I going to do? Go be like, hey, take those books out of people's houses. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. It's like my dad, this isn't the opposite of the problem because it's not a tag, but like, I will say like my dad read my book, uh, the one that's like coming out, but it's done. It's fully baked. I can't change it. And he like had a note and I'm like, dad, we're well past that. Yeah. This is not, don't give me a note now. Yeah, I get a I get a similar I have a similar reaction to when I have put on the outfit that I am going to wear. That is the yeah. outfit I'm going to wear. And Josh is like, Do you need to could you wear something else? Nope, I can't. Yeah. This is yeah. what I could I'm, have an hour ago. <laughs> this is what I'm going to wear. This is what I packed. He did that at a wedding one time. <laughs> oh, I was no. like, I packed this. It was a whole thing, but you know, it's fine. Yeah. If it's baked, there's no need to to like let the author know it all. Um, Alyssa, what do you feel petty about this week? So you guys, in the past couple of weeks, something has happened to me multiple times. And if anyone's listening, you shouldn't fucking do this. I answer the phone and you know what? I hate the phone. I hate phone calls, but I'm trying to be better. So if 
I see a number and I don't recognize it. If it's spam or you're trying to spoof me, I will shame you and be like, you should be ashamed of yourself for trying to scam me out of money. That's kind of fun. But so I answer and multiple times I get, hi, Alyssa, this is John patching you through to so-and-so. I was like, who the fuck, what, when, where? And it's like, if you are so important that you can't pick up the fucking phone and call me yourself, you can expect the cuntiest voice you have ever heard on the other <laughs> end of the phone when you finally get on. It's like my uh, my ride or die in the White House, uh, Danielle Crutchfield, could always tell when someone had done something like this because I'd go from being normal Alyssa to, hi, what? I'm sorry. I can barely hear you. Who? And... <laughs> So that's what I have been doing lately, and I don't like it. I think that if you want something from me, which is usually what a phone call is about, if you want something from me, you should pick up the phone and fucking ask me for it yourself or email me because I'm certain if you have my number, you have my fucking email, and Mm -hmm. you should email me and be like, Alyssa, I'd like to pick your brain. Hate the term, but better than being cold called by your assistant who doesn't even wait for me to say, I'm driving. And uh-huh. connects you through. Also, 95% of the time, men. So that's my rant. If you get the cunt voice, it means you should never do what you just did again. <laughs> I love that. Oh, Alyssa, you would hate LA. It's an entire culture based around Everyone having Everyone people- who does it yeah. is from LA. It's uh, true. It's oh, always at 818, a 323. It's mm-hmm. yeah. always 310. people. 310 is going to, it's, no, it game people's assistant scheduling meetings for them is all of what LA is. You know what? Yeah. Things would get done so much faster because it is like a whole system of obfuscation. If you don't want to have the meeting, don't slow walk it to death. Just be like, no thanks. I much prefer it than being treated like less than because I refuse. I was actually, you guys, <laughs> because I do everything myself. I was actually on an email chain with a bunch of assistants and at one point had to clarify that I was not also an assistant. Yeah, <laughs> so you're like, uh, just to be clear. I was I'm, like, hey I'm guys, just, just um, flagging. And that's when I do embarrassing things like, you know, put like my Twitter handle on the signature or something. So yes. I'm like, is someone going to look? I don't know what to do here, but I'm 25 yeah. years older than you guys. And you should at least Google the last name. I don't know. Do mm-hmm. something. Have, have you ever pretended to be your own assistant? I on have. Call? I have. Me too. <laughs> I have. Yeah, I have. And if someone, <laughs> I if, don't have an assistant. If people Maybe. start getting emails from Alyssa's assistant at Gmail, may or may not be me. Yeah, I was thinking. We talked about this the other week, Alyssa. <laughs> I really, I think I might set set up an email account for my own assistant and just have it be me. Just so you can say no without people being like, "Can you do another day? How, do you have time another time? Can you do this mm-hmm. thing I'm asking you to do for free some other time?" <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Can't you just make time in your life to do something for me, for, <laughs> a stranger? For free. For, for free. free. Yeah. That doesn't benefit you even a little. So anyway, that's it. Just fucking show some courtesy. Pick up the phone yourself. Yeah, you're. I would say the East Coast is the right coast for you. Uh, it's just so assistant heavy out here. And they all work their asses off and they all have like, they don't do. get paid enough. But um, And the fault lies with the people that are making their assistants do stuff like that, not the 
Not the poor assistants themselves. Um, Akila, what are you feeling petty about this week? I mean, similarly, you know, it's people in LA fucking up. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I've been driving for more than half my life. I'm from the South, so you learn how to drive. Uh, it's important if there's a snowstorm or something, somebody's injured, you gotta be able to drive. Um, and so I, I consider myself to be a pretty good driver. Like I parallel park on the first try every time. Same. Um, and you know, I can't expect everyone to be at this level of excellence when driving, but I can expect them to know the rules that require them to have a license <laughs> to drive a car. And it is the Wild West in every sense out here. People will just cut you off with no turn signal. They will stop in the middle of the street to parallel park, but no turn signal. So you're just like right behind them, like we're going, and they just slam on the brakes like there's a spot. And I'm like, right, you're actually not the only person on the road. And I think that this is sort of like additionally annoying because of the COVID of it all, where it's like we're seeing so many selfish people. But seeing it in driving, where people are like, I'm the only person who has mm -hmm. anywhere to be that matters, which means I'm just going to weave in and out of traffic. And like, LA has a million cops. I've never seen them stop that. I've never <laughs> seen them stop the person who ran through the stop sign and hit a dog the other day in front of me. Like, I've never seen any of that happen. It's just people doing what they want, uh, thinking that they are more entitled to surviving on the road <laughs> than the rest of us. And I hate driving here. Like, I'm a person who loves to drive. If we were on a road trip, I would volunteer to drive us. Unfortunately, I, we are not on a road trip, and we're just trying to go to the CVS five blocks away, and we're risking our lives because someone's going to just plow through a red light and try to hit you. Like, it is outrageous. And I think, like, at the bare minimum, use the turn signal. It is your friend. It is there to tell people what the fuck you're doing since you clearly don't know. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. and it takes half a second. It's the easiest thing. Like, it is laziness. There's no other excuse for not using it. If you can turn the steering wheel, you can move your fucking hand <laughs> to say you're going to the right and this is your exit. And it's not, you know, 10 seconds before you're about to crash into everybody. It's like, just do it when it makes sense. Like, I, it's just, it is so frustrating. <laughs> And I yeah. hate it, and it makes me dislike the people. My final thought on it is that people <laughs> are often like, like, I was in New York for eight years, and they're like, people in L.A. are nicer. And I'm like, you know, I've seen the distinction between nice and kind, but I'm like, how nice can you be if you smile in my face and then get in your car and then, like, try to run me over? <laughs> like, you're not <laughs> nice people. <laughs> like, be nice people. Use your fucking turn signal. Yeah, that is like, that's a serious problem here. Um, I don't think it occurs to people that other people are also people. Yeah. Like it just doesn't occur to them. They also think like if they're in a bigger car, that makes them literally bigger yes. and more important. And I'm like, you do know that like, if you wreck into me, I'm coming out of my car with a hammer, right? Like uh -huh. you better <laughs> fucking miss is what it I'm saying. It genuinely scares me. Those cars that are so high up off the ground where they can't see if someone's like walking in a crosswalk right in front of them, like, that's an asshole move. And it's also really scary and dangerous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's terrible. Like, yeah, let a it's... FedEx truck hit me. I will be cashing out for the rest of my life. <laughs> 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 they better not. Yeah, that would suck. I swear so much in my car. Like, I yell, swear yeah. so much when I'm by myself because of the exact problems that you listed, Akilah. Um, Okay, so I'm going to finish us off today with something I feel petty about. And I think this is going to be a little controversial. Um I don't like the Met Ball. I, I find it garish. I find it tacky. I find it uh, an over-the-top display of excessive wealth during a time of inequality. Um, and I find the weird kind of like blind celebration of it among people who I think should know better to be a little bit strange. 
It would be like if everybody just kind of decided that we were going to have, we're, if, if it's like if I had a wedding and I was just going to serve veal and expected nobody to say anything about it. Like, look, there are worse things in the world than being wealthy and glamorous and beautiful and wearing a dress that could feed a family of four for a year for one night. So you can get photographed a bunch of times. There are mu- there are worse things in the world than that. You know, like you're not you're not actually at, you know Beyonce and Kim Kardashian are not Exxon. You know, but Beyonce wasn't there to be clear. Oh right, Rihanna, Rihanna, <laughs> don't and Kim drag Car- her into this. <laughs> Rihanna and Kim Kardashian are not Exxon. Like there's like, but it's gross. I find it to be very like I I understand that it's fun to look at pictures from it and stuff, but I find the weird like. This over celebration of it. I guess maybe this is like what I was saying before about my dad being like anti-rich people. Maybe this is just my dad talking through me, but I just find <laughs> it to be like a really a weird display. Um, I think that the exclusivity of the guest list is yucky. Um, I love the Met Museum in New York. I used to go there all the time. It's it's a it's a crown jewel of American culture, and it displays like incre- there's just like incredible stuff there. I love the museum. I hate the Met Gala. I just I find it <laughs> I find it yucky. And I was going to say that I'm like, man, I uh, I hate the museums. <laughs> I'm like, that's the thing that gets me just enraged. Right. Why are they raising money for the museum? What they right. should be doing is stealing. Giving that shit museum. back is what they should be doing. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Counterpoint. I'm like looking at fun dresses. That, that is, you know what my the, thing was? And let me just, let me just admit, I have been to the Met Gala one time. One time. Oh, flex. Um, super sick, super sick. I was. Oh, what a flex. You guys. Uh, oh, okay, Dana, you ready for my flex? I did get invited. It was very generous of Anna Wintour to invite me. I, I took all of my White House clothes and I t- brought them to a consignment shop where I got another dress that was Valentino and it didn't fit. And the consignment shop let me waddle next door. Uh, to Mrs. Kim, who was my tailor, to see if she could pull the darts and seams out and make the dress bigger. She did. She was a fucking genius. Um, I wasn't invited with a guest. And if you've ever wondered, there's like slated arrival times. And I got 5.45. FYI, most people showed up at 8. There is no food or was no food, at least that year, at the cocktail hour. So it was just me by myself. It was weird uh, I I felt super uncomfortable and uh, I I left. I mean, like I I I stayed. I did the whole thing. But here's, I agree. I love looking at the dresses. I feel like this year specifically, the press. Everyone has to choose what side they're on, right? Like a month ago, Barack Obama should like go to jail for wanting to have a birthday party. But like this was fine and celebrated and like it does that makes no sense to me it makes no sense to me that certain kinds of parties are good and certain kinds of parties are bad and either we're in a pandemic or we're not and so I just thought that there was a lot of hypocrisy in the reporting and uh, they think they can still get invited they're like Obama's never gonna invite us but like maybe that's a good point Akilah that is a very good point maybe Anna Winter will yeah (laughs) we don't know her politics you know (laughs) 
Did you wait, Alyssa? I have a question. If you could just get invited, and you don't have to answer, or you could just nod or shake. If you just get invited as an individual, do you pay for a ticket? Uh, no. So I went. This was also something that was a little confusing to me about the elected officials. Is that the only I was invited as a guest? So I did not have to pay, but I could not have done that as a White House employee. I went after I left. So that was something that I was uh, confused by. Also, to be clear, I couldn't get an outfit. That was another thing that was like very confusing to me because we couldn't accept gifts, which is why Ella Rue Boutique in Georgetown did me a solid by giving me a good price on everything. <laughs> That I turned Shout in, out to in, the real ones. This, in exchange for the dress. So uh, that was also some stuff I found like a little bit confusing about the whole night. But, you know, I do think that for me, I thought that it was just too soon. I feel like maybe they just should have waited until the first Monday in May, as has always May. been the case. You know, they're doing another one with the same I know, theme in, in, May. in May. I know. So I just like, just skip this one. I feel like we're all just a little st- still... Not, I just, I felt personally not there. I was not ready to receive the fashion that was coming at me that night. Yeah. There's a lot of people that are still kind of suffering from directly from the pandemic through no fault or decisions of their own. And yeah, it just does. It feels like weird. It feels very, it felt very weird to me. Um, I also wanted to say though, that the, you know, just to bring it around full circle to something you and I talked about earlier in the show, Alyssa, Without the Met Ball this year, though, we would not have the story of Nicki Minaj's cousin's friends' balls. balls. All the balls. Which swollen balls. is one of the funniest news stories that happened this week, especially because it made it on Tucker Carlson. Tucker Carlson. <laughs> oh, man. On that note, on that balls note, let's end this show uh, with a thank you to the guests today. Dana, thank you so much for coming by. Akila, miss you already. Oh, Come back again I'll be ASAP. Back. Come back again ASAP. Bring your dog. Uh, Alyssa, thank you for being my ride or die per usual. And thanks to all of you, the listeners. If you like what you heard, you can rate us, review us, and tell your friends. And there will be more hysteria for you next week. Hysteria is a Crooked Media production. Caroline Rustin is our producer. Our executive producer is me, Aaron Ryan. Alyssa Mastromonaco is our co-producer, and Brian Semmel is our associate producer. Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer, and our editor is Sarah Gibalaska and the folks at Chapter 4. Our digital team is Nar Melkonian, Mia Kelman, and Matt DeGroote. Thank you to Juliet Beckstrand for production support every week. 